0: the book, and uh, preaching through the Bible on the book. And uh, between Daniel, that was a sermon that Pastor Darrell preached last uh, week, and uh, Daniel was one of the prophets. To the end of the Old Testament, there's a series of prophets, and their names are on the front of the bulletin that Lord designed. I think it was really a great bulletin with all the names of the prophets, and you can see them up there, as well as we're going to cover many of them this morning. Uh, I'd just like to give an overview of the prophets that conclude the last 16 books of the Old Testament. Uh, 16 books this morning for a sermon, that's pretty good. Not going to be that detailed. I'm just going to uh, make a synthesis as we, as we view, with a bird's eye view, you might say, of the end of the Old Testament, concentrating on the call that the prophets receive from God with his message, and then secondly, what are the promises and the blessings that are promised to us as we get ready for Christ uh, to come. So the Old Testament is really ready to begin. As we finish this morning, we're ready to begin the birth of Christ. Pastor Darrell wants to come back with a message on Mary and Joseph, baby being born as we celebrate Christmas time. So we are into the Christmas season, and everybody's got their shopping done. Say amen. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of what I... Kind of what I thought. But, uh, hey, you've got 23 days to get that done, and uh, whatever. Anyhow, uh, back to prophets. There are four major prophets, and there are 12 minor prophets. Now, when I say major prophets, I want to explain. That doesn't mean, as I thought when I was a child, that they were more important (laughs) than the other ones. They're not any more important. It's just they have fuller messages. It's a major message for the whole nation of Israel, And therefore, those are longer books, such as Isaiah, for example. Isaiah is 66 chapters, and that tells of the coming invasions uh, that are going to come from their enemies to Israel, but it also has prophecies of the coming Messiah giving praise to God. Secondly up on the board is Jeremiah, 52 chapters. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he was grieving over the events of the captivity and what was happening to God's people. And that's followed by the book of Lamentations where he laments the fate of Israel going into captivity. That's followed by Ezekiel. Ezekiel has 48 chapters, and I have to say those were the darkest days of Judas' history uh, as they went into 70 years of captivity for their idolatry, disobedience to God, and uh, they went to Babylon in captive. And then there's the book of Daniel that pastor preached about last weekend, telling of the events of his life, dealing with his prayer life, was a man of God who served under four different monarchs in different nations while he was in captivity. Now, those are the major prophets. Then following up, there are 12 minor prophets, not lesser in importance, but their books are usually just a few chapters, one even just one chapter long, three or four, except the Visions that Zechariah had, which were twelve chapters. Uh, but those are—he's the longest book. So they're all shorter books, and their prophecies are more uh, in just a localized, smaller audience, like Jonah, for example. Book of the prophet who was sent to one city, Nineveh. Just telling about one city, not a national uh, captivity. And the minor prophets are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Do you want to say that with me? No, that's, that's all right. I, uh, never mind. Uh, that concludes, Malachi concludes the Old Testament books with those prophets. Now, when we consider prophecy that I'm going to be speaking about this morning, there are two phases, or maybe i say two functions, of prophecy. Number one is foretelling. Foretelling deals with future events. That's predicting what is going to be happening. Here with Israel, prophets would say, you are going to go in captivity if you don't repent and turn to God. For their disobedience, their idolatry, there will be 70 years of captivity, and then a remnant will be allowed to come back and restore, rebuild Jerusalem, which happened in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament. But they foretold future events from the four. Ground. The other aspect of prophecy is foretelling, or that's preaching. Telling forth, delivering God's message to the people, like you need to repent, or, or the blessings that will follow obedience. They're exhorting the people with foretelling. My purpose this morning is not to tell all the doom and the gloom uh, of Israel in these messages, but I want to point out before we're done the promises and the blessings that await the people who follow and obey the Lord God Almighty. I think that's what we can learn from the prophets. If you don't live for God, there's captivity and bondage. If you do live for God, there's freedom and blessing that follows. In Isaiah, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent me to bring deliverance to the captives. We don't want to be a captivity to this world system, to our minds, to our plagues, to our problems, but we're going to be set free and move into the blessings of God, and these prophecies are going to bring us right into the birth of Christ here in uh, November. So, I want to point out prophecies and blessings. Let's start, number one, with the book of Isaiah. You know, Isaiah, that book, 66 chapters, is like a miniature Bible. The first 39 chapters are like the Old Testament. Uh, There's 39 books in the Old Testament. And the first 39 chapters chapters are filled with judgment upon the immoral, idolatrous people that was in the land. Judah had sinned. The surrounding nations have sinned. The whole world has sinned. And judgment has to come for God because God cannot allow just blatant sin to go without being uh, punished forever and ever. So he has to do something about iniquity of people who will not repent that's the first 39 chapters but there's a switch in isaiah and the last 27 chapters again just like 27 books in the new testament declare a message of hope and the messiah is coming as a savior he predicts the sovereign lord uh yes he's going to come bear a cross as we just had the communion service but he's also going to wear a crown and be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You get the picture of Isaiah? Two sections. One, you're going to captivity, but secondly, there is going to come a Savior that's going to set us free. So Isaiah's prophetic ministry spanned at least four kings in Judah. It lasted 40 years that he was a prophet. Then we see Christ in his prophecies. And when he speaks about Christ, Really, Isaiah sounds more like a New, Testament, uh, a, New, a New Testament writer rather than an Old Testament prophet. His Messianic, pro- Messianic prophecies are, are really clear, like I was reading from Isaiah 53. They're more explicit than any other Old Testament writer in the Bible. And they describe many aspects of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let me just give a couple of examples of what I'm talking about, how he spoke of Christ. Uh, especially now that we're in the Christmas season, December started, look at the insight with me of Isaiah. He saw things as he prophesied about the coming Christ child that we're going to be celebrating and reading scriptures. First of all is Isaiah 7.14. I want you to read that. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. What's the sign? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Remember the Christmas story? We'll be hearing that word Emmanuel quite a bit. We'll be hearing more about that through the month because when the book of Matthew starts, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, the angel said to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Remember Isaiah said, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. David, uh, the son of David, Uh, Joseph, uh, you are going to take Mary to be your wife because she is going to bear a son which was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Of course, that means the virgin birth. Next verse in Matthew, verse 21. She shall bring her forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Then if you go on to the next verse in Matthew, verse 23, it actually quotes this passage from Isaiah 7, 14. Look at it today. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and bear a son. And they will call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean? Which be interpreted, God with us. The the New Testament was quoting this Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Another very familiar Christmas prophecy is found in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Remember that verse? Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That is Jesus who is going to be coming. And that's our message of Christmas. Prophesied 600 years before Christ came by the prophet Isaiah. The Old Testament, just interesting side note, the Old Testament has 300 prophecies about the first coming of Christ, and Isaiah really contributed a number of those. I read someplace one time the odds that even 10 of those 300 prophecies could be fulfilled by just one person is a statistical marvel. That would be, a, that'd be unbelievable if only 10 were actually fulfilled by one person, and yet all 300 were, per, were fulfilled by the coming of Christ. You know what that does? That just gives me a firm belief that the Bible is the inspired word of God when people 600 years before are telling what's going to happen. Anybody say amen to that? That's great. And I just want to, I'm excited about this message, whether you are and I'm excited about this this morning. I see it. Not only is the birth of Christ prophesied miraculously and prophetically, but also the suffering and the crucifixion of Christ was foretold in Isaiah 53. We refer to that in communion this morning. In an honor of Christ and the meaning of our communion service we had, with Christmas and his birth being celebrated later this month, I want us to read, not just read, but actually receive the meaning of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 1 says, Who hath believed our report? Isaiah was saying, <laughs> who's going to believe what we're saying? In other words, Who will recognize, he goes on and says, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who's going to believe our message? Who's going to receive the word of the Lord? The arm of the Lord speaks of his power. Who's going to recognize the Lord's power and hear his voice? I'd like to say this morning, we do. We recognize his power. We receive his word that a child is going to be born, and that child is Jesus, and we've accepted him. You know, I'd like to do something really different this morning in honor of of communion and the death of Christ is coming, would you stand with me and let's read this great prophecy together. It'll be on the screen. Uh, you may not have your Bible with you, but what I would like to do is something different. I want us to read out loud Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 2. On the screen is from the New Living Translation. And speaking of the Lord who has come, let's read verse 2 together. Ready? For he shall grow up before him... As a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3 He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4 Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him smitten smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God for the meaning of that. You know why that means so much to me? Not only because it's just describing what we partook of in communion, as I showed the meaning, he, took our, he was bruised for our iniquities, he took our sins. He took our pain. He took our infirmities, our sicknesses upon Him. But the reason that has always stood on my mind, my mother, uh, when I was a little boy, had this this compulsion. I'll, that's a good word for it. Compulsion that I was supposed to memorize a lot of Bible. Right. So this is one she. I don't hate to use the word made me memorize, but she did. <laughs> and honestly i didn 't understand half of these about four and five years old, but she really explained them to me i didn 't read the rest because he goes talked about being born, uh, being buried in prison uh, with a rich man for buying a grave all of that it 's all about Christ, but what a great thing this has been in my life through the years, just to know what christ done prophesied 600 years before he came I can't get over that it's amazing what a miraculous prophecy of what Christ did by his coming and going to the cross for us now for the next few minutes I want us to look at the call of some of these prophets to begin with let's start with Isaiah since we're talking about him Isaiah chapter 1 Isaiah began to get visions about what the Lord was going to do but then in chapter 6 He had visions for, but in chapter 6, he saw the Lord himself. The Lord appeared to him, Isaiah chapter 6. And there are three words that sum up the call of Isaiah. Those three words are woe, lo, and go. I want to read the account of Isaiah 6, 1 to 9. As I read, just look at the screen and listen and think about those three words as as I read. In the year that the king died, Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can you picture seeing the Lord in his temple. The whole, his train filling the temple and the seraphims crying, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. It was so strong in verse four that the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. The glory of God. Then I said, Solomon, uh, excuse me, Isaiah said, I said, woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. When he saw the Lord, he realized how unclean he was. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he touched my mouth with it. And then he said, Lo, or behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Verse 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. The prophet has seen the Lord, touched and cleansed by the Lord, purged by God. He said, I will go. And he said in verse 9, the Lord said, Go and tell this people. These three words really sum up the call of Isaiah. When he saw the Lord, what did he say? Woe is me. When you come into the presence of the Lord, you just feel, I, I'm unclean. I'm not worthy to be here myself. And he said, I've seen the Lord. Holy, holy, holy. What he's really saying, I can't live anymore. I've seen the holy Lord, and I'm so unclean. But the Lord said in verse 7, Lo, behold, I have touched your lips with a burning coal from the altar, and you are cleansed. Verse 8, the Lord said, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And the Lord said, Go. His call was, Woe, Lo, and Go. What a life-changing call for Isaiah. Next, let's look at the next prophet, whose name is Jeremiah. I read from Jeremiah 1.5. The Lord said, I knew you before you were found formed in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. King James says at that point, I sanctified you and ordained you even before you were born. Or it says, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Lord said I saw you when you're being formed in your mother's womb. Side note, I'd just like to say that's a very good response to the abortion agenda today, that the Creator could see that baby being formed in the womb. Not just a fetus, a child, a son. And it says, I called you at that time. I gave you a purpose in life. Before was ever born, God set Jeremiah apart. I say, that's powerful. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. We need to be conscious of that, that God can be with our children even before they're born. But even with God's plan and purpose, just like Isaiah, Jeremiah didn't feel that he could really... Do it for the Lord. In verse six, he begins to give excuses. Some of sins, some of which we've heard before, like way down at Moses, verse six. He says, "Ah, oh, Lord God, I cannot speak." Here, you think God knew that? He saw him as a baby, and here he's a man saying, "Oh, I can't, I can't speak, Lord." Then he said, "I'm too young." <laughs> and finally, he said, "I'm just afraid of their faces." But then, verse 9, the Lord reached out and touched his mouth, Remember, just like Isaiah, and said, I have put my words in your mouth, verse 9, and today I appoint you to stand up against the nations and the kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. And he began to give him visions and prophecies for the nations. That kind of experience, that gives you an idea of what a prophet is, his call, and his ministry. One example of Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's message can be applied to us. Our lives today, it's really more of a familiar passage in Jeremiah 18, when the Lord told him to go down to a potter's house. I have a lesson I want to teach you. And I want you to see that message and the attitude of the people. I want to read Isaiah, or excuse me, Jeremiah 18, 1-6. The Lord gave me another message to Jeremiah and said, Go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me, and I found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as his hope, so he crushed it into a lump of clay and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done with this clay? As a clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hands. What's the message? Some of us have messed up the the vessel. We're marred. But can't God take us and start over again, make us new? That's the message Jeremiah was getting across. Think of another prophet, the next one, named Ezekiel, from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a priest and a prophet, but he ministered during the darkest days of Judah's history. That 70-year period, When they were in the Babylonian captivity, carried to Babylon as the final assault on Jerusalem. Ezekiel lived at that time. And he uses prophecies and parables and signs and symbols to dramatize God's message to his exile people. One of the lessons that I think was so picturesque is found in Ezekiel 37, where God took him down and showed him a whole valley full of dry bones. That was Israel. Can these bones live again? Good old you said, I don't know, you know, Lord. And God made them come together, reassemble them, and then he breathed life into that nation once again. See, present judgment can be followed by future glory. As he says here in the sixth chapter, you shall know that I am the Lord. God can take things that have totally fallen apart and renew them, breathe his life by his spirit into them, and they stood upon their feet, and lived because the breath of God had breathed into them. That was one of Ezekiel's examples. Another prophet's response to the call of God, if I move more into the minor prophets, was a familiar story of Jonah. Jonah felt he also couldn't do what God wanted him to do, so what did he do? He ran the opposite way. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and call out repent to the people of that city. I'm not going to a heathen city and say, repent. So he got on a boat and went the opposite way. And you know the story, a big storm came. Uh, He was responsible for the storm, the punishment. And uh, they threw him overboard, and a great fish followed him because he refused to go and deliver the word of the Lord to the heathen city of Nineveh. Four chapters I'd like to summarize in Jonah. They're very simple. Number one, Jonah ran from God, and he wound up in the belly of a fish. Then, chapter 2, he ran back to God. He prayed from that belly of a fish and said, Lord, I'll go. He ran to God. Thirdly, chapter, he ran for God. He did go to Nineveh. He did cry out, repent. After that experience being swallowed by a fish, he said, I'll go. And he went and cried, repent. And the fourth chapter, he ran right into God, who met him personally. Because he didn't want the city to repent. And so he was sitting out on a hillside waiting for God to send fire and brimstone and build up, burn up that ungodly uh, city. <clears throat> what he didn't count on was the mercy and the love of the Lord because they did repent. Jonah's sitting out there and <coughs> a, a gourd, a, a vine thing, grew up over him, sheltered him for, from the sun. He's giving God, thank you for sh- giving me shade. It, I'm watching for the city be burnt up, and uh, all of a sudden the gourd died. God, you gave me that gourd. Now you took it away. And God said to Jonah, in the very last book in the uh, very last verse of, uh, of Jonah, he, <clears throat> God said, "You feel sorry for the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. You didn't grow it. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Last sentence of the book: Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Wow, isn't that amazing? Look at some more of the minor prophets. That's a very interesting story. Amos is another one that we don't read about very much, but he was one of the minor prophets who told the Lord in Amos seven fourteen. You know what he said? I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I'm just a farmer. God called him. I'm not a prophet. I can't go. I'm a farmer. Excuse me. I'm not a professional prophet. The New Living Translation says I'm not a professional prophet. I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd, and I take care of sycamore fig trees. That's all I do. I, I take care of fruit that's growing. God gave him a message that every verse is a vision, a word picture of what God wanted to say to the people through Amos. Another prophet's called Micah. Micah said it says he came from the hill country. He barely knew the events of calamity that's affecting the nations, but he prophesied about the idolatry in the land. Micah 3:8 gives a clear sense of his prophetic calling. He read, "But I am full of power by the Holy Spirit and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin." He yeah, I'm just a country guy from the hills. I'm a hillbilly. I don't know anything but I have the Spirit of the Lord upon me, and I'm going to speak out against the sin that I see in the land. Amazing. These guys are, prophets are all uh, different. It's interesting to me, I could go on with the prophets and their calling, but um, time won't allow me to do much more on that, and I don't want to bore you to death. Those are, are the beginning of the calls, but I'd like, before we close, to give you just a few of the promises that we find in these books. They are so valuable to us even today. In Jeremiah, we've already seen that God can remake a marred vessel, like the clay in the potter's hands. Zechariah, another minor prophet, full of visions for Israel, but he reminds them that their restoration will only come about by God's Spirit. And Zechariah writes a verse that we use many times in Zechariah 4, 6, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Not by might, not by power, but it will happen by my Spirit, saith the Lord as he showed what God could do. Another book, the book of Joel, gives a great promise that Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was outpoured in in Acts 2. Well, that's from Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. What a message today. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see vision. Upon the servants and upon the handmaidens will I pour out my spirit. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost, and that was the basis for the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of the church of the New Testament, which we're still a part today because he poured out his spirit and transformed lives. In Micah, another prophet, there's a message for today. I just want to read Micah 6, 8, just for us. Micah 6 8, He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Sometimes sh- I just wish I knew what God wanted me to do. He said, He's shown you what He wants to do, and here it is. We should do right, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. If we would just begin to do right, live righteous lives, we'd be, have the love of God, love mercy like He did when He came. And as the last phrase said, Be humble. Walk humbly with God. That's what God wants us to do. Another great promise is in Hosea, chapter 6, 1 to 3, where Hosea writes, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He is torn and He will heal us. He's torn us apart, yes, but He will heal us. He has smitten us, but He will bind us up. He will revive us. Verse 3, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord, for He will come to us as the rain the latter and the former rain upon the earth. that picture of rain is the refreshing that the spirit-filled person has because that also was quoted by Joel. Peter quoted the day of Pentecost for the church. Joel said, I'm going to send the former and the latter rain. Hey, there's been former rain. There's been times of refreshing, but I'm believing God for the latter rain in the day in which we live, the end times, the last days, that we could have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the refreshing of God. It was prophesied by Joel. Here it was prophesied by Hosea. It was repeated by Peter when the church started. And there is a refreshing for the people of God. Wouldn't you like to just have the rain fall, <laughs> wash everything clean, let us start over, be renewed? Hallelujah. Another prophet is Habakkuk. And he concludes his book with a promise. Very last verses, he said, even though everything is falling apart, nothing seems to work anymore. Nothing, the plants won't grow. The animals are dying. I tremble. I'm in a day of trouble. And you know what Habakkuk said with all this trouble? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. In spite of everything that's happening to me, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. Even if everything is falling apart and it seems like there's no hope, he says, I will rejoice in my God for the Lord is my strength. I tell you, we need that spirit today. We need that attitude. I hear so much complaining. This is wrong, that's wrong, can't do this, that's falling apart. You know, those are material things. Those are natural things. I know we have to live with it. But as we live it, I'd like to have us try, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. When I come to worship service, I want to forget about the week. I want to forget about how I feel. I want to forget about the problems. I want to raise my hands and I will rejoice in the Lord my God. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. Hallelujah. And I want to give him praise. And those are just samples of the provision and the blessing that we find in the prophets. Well, I'm down to the last book, the book of Malachi. And Malachi also has hope. (coughs) Excuse me. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. I wish you could just hold on to that truth. God hasn't changed an inch. I am the Lord your God, I change not. The next verse, Malachi 3.7 says, return to the Lord, and I will return to you, saith the Lord. Amen? I'm the Lord, I don't change. Just return, come back, I'm still the same. I'll be there for you. And then, verse 8 very familiar thing is advice to us. He urges us in Matt 3 eight to honor the Lord with our tithes. What's a tithe? That's 10% of our income. Do you realize when you make money, whatever you have come into you, 10% belongs to God? That's really his. And you have 90% to live on. I think we should be very grateful and say, Thank you, God, for giving me 90% back and figure our budget on 90%. If you say, Well, I can't afford to tithe. That's because we're figuring the budget on 100%. Figured on 90%. I can't, afford, I can't afford not to tithe because there's promises. You anyway, know, that's pretty good that God lets me keep 90% when God uh, gave it to me all in the first place. It was his before I ever got it. He gave me the power to learn. He gave me the power to get wealth. He gave me the power to have a job. And so Malachi says, don't rob God. Don't take God's portion and use his part for you to live on. He said, bring that those tithes in and honor the Lord with what He's given. It. And I want you to look at the promises. Number one, I think it's on the overhead. God's house will be provided for. If you bring your tithes in, when we take up an offering. If you put your offerings in, you know what? He said, There will be provision in my house. The ministry can continue here and around the world, as Pastor Joel says so often. We give so ministry can continue, and we can get all these things done, and God's really blessed us to do so much. But the second thing is not for God's house, that's for our house. Number two, he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon us that there won't even be room enough to receive it. Are you living in that kind of a place where God is pouring out his blessing, pouring out his spirit. Honor God in everything you do. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be taken care of. He'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. There won't be room enough to receive it. And God even said here in this passage, prove him. Test him with his promise. See if it's true. (laughs) I think too many times we make up our mind ahead of time, well, that was for people in the old days. That doesn't work for me. All these things I've been saying promise I don't think God can rebuild my life. I don't, I don't, I don't know that God can, That I can praise God when everything is going bad. I don't think I can tithe. It's not going to have. Well, God says, prove me. See if it's true or not. Honor me. And the next verse says, hallelujah, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy your fruit. There's another prophet that said, it's like you earn money, you put it in a bag, but it's got a hole in it. Sometimes I just feel like i got a bag with holes in it. Everything's just running out the bottom. I'm losing track of it. I don't even know where it goes. But we need to have the Lord rebuke the devourer because we've got a devourer that has come to kill and destroy. But we have a Lord that's promised to bless us and open the wizard of heaven, pour out a blessing upon us. Hallelujah. And we can prove the Lord with this promise of blessing. personally, I could just tell you for, for Jerry and I that this, this really works. It really does work. I've tithed all my life. When my mother was having me learn verses, she also taught me, my dad taught me, if you've got a dime, one penny belongs to the Lord. He just grilled it into me. So all of our life, we've tithed. And you say, did God open the windows of heaven? Well, I'd like to announce this morning we're certainly not rich. We haven't had all maybe we'd like to have But I do have to say, God has rebuked the devourer and has opened the windows of heaven and poured out a blessing. There isn't room enough to receive it. And I'm talking about things we are blessed with from God that money can't buy. See, we measure everything in money. God doesn't measure by money. He measures by blessing. And I just want to tell you, I want to thank God for a life of serving Him. I want to thank God for a family. I want to thank God for what He's taking care of us and providing for us that we're not homeless. Hallelujah. God has blessed us. I'm talking about the things that money can't buy. And we are blessed because of honoring God with everything, I believe, everything we've got. And the Old Testament ends with another promise I have to give to you that I'm believing God for for our congregation. The very last verse of the Old Testament. You know what the last verse of the Old Testament is? And he will turn the heart of the father to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers so you will not be under the curse. I think sometimes our family seems like we're cursed. Why kids won't live for God? Why this happens? Why there's tension in the family? I'd like for us as Christians just to say wow, we really need this. We need the heart of the fathers turned to the children. We need the heart of the children turned back to the fathers so that we will not be under that curse. And that's one of the promises of the minor prophets, the last one before Jesus Christ there are no end to the promise and truths found in the prophets, but I have to stop. I've gone long enough. I just gave you a sample, but I mean they're full of nuggets of truth. You know what the next event is after the prophets? What I've done this morning. I hope you can tell what I did. <laughs> I took you from Daniel, where Pastor preached last Sunday, and brought you up to the end of the Old Testament through these prophets. Do you know what the next event is? It's what we're celebrating this month. The very next event is Matthew chapter 1, a birth of a promised Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, which is December, and we are going to celebrate that. The next event on God's timetable, after the prophets, he said in the next to last verse, the next event will be coming the coming of John the Baptist, typified by Elijah, the prophet of God. And when he comes, he will announce the coming of the Ministry of Jesus, who came to seek and save the lost. And this finishes the Old Testament in the story and prepares the way for the next event, which is the coming of the Savior. And Now we're ready for Pastor Darrell to come back. He's going to take up this month the story of Mary, the story of Joseph, the story of Jesus' coming. You know, for each one of us, after this message, say, what's the application? What do, what do we want? Number one, I want us to live by the Word. This Word of God, whether you're reading a story or in in a leather-bound Bible, we need to live by what the Word says. Literally, take it literally and say, I'm going to prove God it's going to work for me. If you never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to say for everyone here this morning, we need to accept the Christ child who came. What a time. It's, It's so in front of us. It's so the picture is here of He who came to save us and die for us. And thirdly, I'd like for all of you that know the Lord to begin to live by divine principles so the blessing can be yours. Take the principles of God's Word, the divine principles, and let the blessing be yours. There's a very interesting statement in the book of Revelation. Last book in the Bible that fits our message today, Revelation. Chapter 19, verse 10, King James Version says, the spirit of for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I've always struggled with that. What does that mean? The testimony of Jesus? The spirit of prophecy. But I have been reading the, the New Living Translation more recently. You know what it says there? For the essence of property, excuse me, the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness of Jesus. What's the essence of what the prophets came to do? Take care of a sinning nation so that nation could produce the Christ child. So that the essence of the prophets were to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. Who would be the only way that this world will ever have peace. What's the purpose of my sermon this morning? To bring us through the Old Testament to open the door so that Christ can come. And I think that's so good. The essence of the prophets, that's the spirit of Jesus. And that's the only way, as I said, you'll have peace, because you can you can have that inward peace today by knowing the Prince of Peace. His name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He came to this world as a baby in a manger, but he's really King of kings and Lord of lords for eternity. Let's pray, shall we? Bow your heads with me. Let the message sink in. Say, Lord, make it real to me. Help us to receive the message of the prophets this morning. Help us to be ready for Jesus to come. Help us, Lord, to honor you. Not like Israel, to go our own way and serve other things in this world, but prepare our hearts to receive you as our Lord and our personal Savior. And everybody said, Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening so attentively this morning. Uh, I was afraid maybe that would be too heavy, too detailed, but how many like that, okay, good, thank you, thank you, I didn't, when I said, I mean, I didn't mean to say, you know, clap for me, I was just saying, did you like it or not, that's what I meant to say, I saw about six hands, Pastor was preaching out of Isaiah 53 this morning, I felt the Holy Spirit was giving me some words of healing for some people in the congregation this morning. The first word he gave was for someone who's been struggling. They had a tear in the meniscus of their knee, and they they had treatment, but they felt that this is not healing, and the Lord says he's healing that this morning. The second thing he told me was about someone, they have a problem with their elbow, and this person is kind of embarrassed. They don't feel it's big enough to bring before God because it's just an elbow, but it's really bothering you. And he says he's healing that this morning. And the third one is there's someone who previously had an ear infection, which left them either deaf or partially, um, with partial hearing in that ear. And the Lord says he's opening that ear this morning and bringing full restoration to that Hallelujah. ear. So we thank Amen. you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. thank you for sharing that with us. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's just, let's just pray right now that God will apply the message. Father, I just pray. There's been brought to our attention, just prompted by the Spirit that there were people that needed these things taken care of. We pray, Lord, for this knee, for the elbow, for these things. Lord, all of us that have anything helps to realize that you are the Lord God that healeth us, helps to appropriate the promises of the prophets things we even read in the Old Testament. I thank you, God, that even with Israel, there was not one feeble person among them. Do a new work in the church today. Pour out a blessing. There won't be room enough to receive it. Open the windows of heaven and rain upon us, I pray, that we might receive your goodness. Lord, I pray especially for, for Dr. Malcolm Henderson that is going to Haiti with, with Lars and this group and, hit a, and he's going to have that work there, has problems with his knee. Lord, she spoke it just, I just saw that, that his knee needs to be healed. I pray for healing to take place in Dr. Malcolm today. Bless, O oh Lord, that the application of this message shall be fulfilled. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Every uh, Communion Sunday, first Sunday of the month, we take a, an, extra, an extra offering at the end of the service.